Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary and author of the new book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady, available from Sophia Institute Press. I am enjoying so much my weekly conversations with different guests about the lessons as we go through the book one by one, person by person. Did you know that you could wear a sock honoring many of the different individuals who are found in How They Love Mary? In the month of June, I'll be talking about St. Therese of Lisieux and St. Kateri Tekakwitha and Fulton Sheen. Those three individuals all have a sock at Sock Religious. And when I talk about St. Faustina, well, she's the visionary who received the Divine Mercy. And you can find a pair of Divine Mercy socks at Sock Religious. Head over to Sock Religious by using the link in the show notes and begin wearing socks for the glory of God and in honor of the saints. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. In addition to our Marian devotion, one of the greatest devotions of our Catholic faith is the Holy Eucharist. There was an Italian young boy, now known as a blessed, who had a great devotion to the Holy Eucharist. He loved telling people about Eucharistic miracles and he is an individual who can inspire our own Eucharistic devotion today. I am speaking about Blessed Carlo Acutis. And Blessed Carlo is someone that I was I became familiar with back when he was beatified back in 2020. And yep. I preached a homily on him on that occasion and really was very inspired, as many people throughout the world were. And so today, Sabrina Farisi is going to be joining me. And she just wrote this little biography about Blessed Carlo Acutis called Blessed Carlo Acutis, The Amazing Discovery of a Teenager in Heaven. It's published by Holy Heroes Books. And Sabrina Farisi has been working in the field of Catholic journalism since the year 2000. She's worked in Rome from 2000 to 2004. And she's also worked with a number of different Catholic publications like OSV, the National Catholic Register, and Catholic World Report. So thank you so much, Sabrina, for joining me today to talk about Blessed Carlo. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. I think the first thing is to ask, do you say Blessed Carlo Acutis or how do you say his last name? Because I've heard it said every way yeah. under the sun. Right. Um, in So I'm Italian and in Italy we would say Blessed Carlo Acutis. Acutis. But I I think he would forgive you to say acutis as well. It's fine. <laughs> and I guess I'm just very curious, you know, so you could have written a book about anybody really, right? And you could have identified someone and said, this is who I want to write a biography about. But you chose Blessed Carlo. What drew you to him? So I feel like this project kind of fell on my lap from heaven, so to speak. Um, back in June of 2020, my editor at the National Catholic Register sent me an email and said, Sabrina, 
there's this beatification coming up in Italy in October of this young Italian teenager. Could you write about the beatification? And I said, sure. And and I had heard about Blessed Carlo already a little bit, you know, just reading on, online and some articles. I was a little intrigued, but I didn't know that much about him. So what was interesting, and, and this is what's fascinating, is his parents are very much still alive. So I interviewed his mother. Now, in the life of the church, this never happens because most people who are beatified and canonized, their parents are long gone. And um, his family is very much still alive. I think his mother is a few years older than me, honestly. And so I was able to call her and we spoke for one hour on the phone. And I, I have to tell you, I'm the mother of five children and four of whom are teenagers, one is 21. So this really touched me a lot because I, I mean, just um, Carlo, I mean, I'll fast forward and tell you that he passed away when he was 15. And, you know, just to be able to speak for any mother about your teenager who passed away at 15 is very hard. And Antonia, you know, she really, I mean, she's, she's, um, she speaks about Carlo all the time. It's really the apostolate of the family because, as she said, Carlo saved us because Carlo, his parents, were not practicing Catholics. And so that's what's very interesting about the story. It was Carlo who brought his parents to the faith. That's an interesting reality, I think. And yep. I, I spend a lot of time talking about the champion Wisconsin apparition. Our Lady appears to this Belgian immigrant named Adele Bryce. And Mary tells yeah. Adele, gather the children, teach them what they need to know for salvation, how to make the sign of the cross, how to approach the sacraments, teach them their catechism. This is what I wish you to do. And for Adele in that situation, she was teaching the children because their parents had fallen away from the faith. And so by right, reaching right. to the children, the children were going to touch the hearts of the parents. You see this yes. other times where like a young person gets touched by grace, maybe goes to a Steubenville youth conference yep. or has some other experience of God, and then their parents yep. become curious about it. And so that's what yes. happened in the life of this teenage blessed. Yes. So it's very interesting. So this is what she told me, that basically, um, she. by the way, she was a full-time working mom, uh, the dad, obviously, working full-time. And so Carla was raised by nannies. At one point, they had a Polish nanny. They, they were living in Milan. And uh, by the way, he was born in 1991, not too long ago. So they had a nanny who was Polish, and they believe that she spoke a little bit about God to Carlo. I mean, he was like three or four. And um, so he started asking questions to his mom about God and Jesus. And she couldn't answer them because she said, and I quote, she said, by the time I got married, I'd been to church a total of three times. Like many Italians, and I say I'm Italian, so I know this. This is a reality. Many Italians, they're baptized. They do their first communion. They get confirmed. They get married, and they never step in a church again. And this was the reality for Antonia and her husband, Andrea Acutis. Um, they weren't against the church. They, they just had other things to do. And so suddenly they have this four-year-old son asking about God all the time. And, and he started asking some theological questions. And she said, I couldn't answer his questions. And, you know, she was very well educated. And she said, you know, in anything else, I could answer the questions. But on this, 
I couldn't. And she started, it started to worry her because she says, as he got older, he wanted to go on walks and go into every church that they saw. And he wanted to say hi to Jesus. And he would ask these questions. And she said, I don't want him to lose respect for me as he gets older and his questions become more complicated. So she realized she had to do something about it. And I give her so much credit because a lot of other parents might not have done this, but she spoke to a friend at work who she knew was practicing Catholic. And she said, what do I do? And, and the, the friend said, you need to go speak to a priest. So she went to speak with this priest in Bologna, Father Ilio Caray. And he told her, Antonia, you need to study your faith. You need to take classes in theology. And God bless her, she did. Even though she was working full time, she she made the time. And she started taking, I believe, night classes in this you know, religious institute in Milan, a theological institute. And she said, if it wasn't for Carlo, I might never have begun my spiritual journey. But she did. She started these classes and then she rediscovered her faith. And it was through Carlo. And so as Carlo started asking deeper and harder questions, she was right there alongside him because now she was interested too. And her husband became interested too. So they followed Carlo's lead. And that's really a beautiful story because we all know families where the children have converted and the parents never did. So these parents had the humility to really follow Carlo. Yeah. And, you know, the other extreme today that we see so often is that the parents are praying for kids to come back to the faith. Yeah. And so here you have the example of a kid comes to faith and so do the parents. So it's this kind of right. this reversal of that pendulum swing right here in the story yeah. of Blessed yeah. Carlo. Now, Blessed yeah. Carlo, he became so popular. It was almost like nobody heard of him. And then... Everybody heard of him. Yes. I yes. felt that it was the same way. I knew about Blessed Chiara Luce Badano for many, many yeah. years before she was yeah. beatified. Uh, I was familiar with the Focolari movement. I wrote about Chiara Lubick, the founder of that movement. So I yep. very much knew Blessed Chiara. And then she was beatified. And then I'm like, I felt like I lost my best friend because everybody <laughs> wanted to be friends with her, right? <laughs> but anyways, I guess my question here is, how did Blessed Carlo rise to such popularity? You know, I think it was by word of mouth. And then it's interesting, I believe, by social media. So um, by the time, so he passed away when he was 15. And at his funeral, his funeral was packed, packed with people spilling out into the streets because he, he had quite an effect during his life on his entire school community, his neighborhood. Um, he went out to, you know, feed and, and visit the homeless almost every night. So the homeless were at his funeral. The, the news, uh, there was, um, I know that like some newspapers in Milan covered the funeral. So after that, this is what I heard is that, um, People in Italy started to, you know, Catholics would tell each other and they would tell each other. And people started to arrive at his parish where he used to go, Santa Maria di Segreta in, in Milan. And they would arrive and ask the pastor, they said, is this where Carlo Acutis went to Mass? And uh, some of his friends from high school started a Facebook page so they could share stories about Carlo. And then people from all over the world started to contact the Facebook page. So definitely it was by word of mouth and, and social media. 
And, you know, people in Catholic media have started writing about it. Um, his, at his beatification, I mean, you know, Catholic, um, the Catholic press wrote about it, but also the secular Italian press was writing about it by that time. And now you have written about Blessed Carlo <laughs> because you yeah. did so in this book, The Amazing Discovery of a Teenager in Heaven, Blessed Carlo Acutis. And yeah, this is with Holy Heroes books. And and so basically you wrote a biography that would be read maybe by teenagers so that they would learn the story yeah. of a fellow teenage yeah. saint. So what is the purpose or mission of holy heroes? How do they communicate stories of these holy heroes? So um, holy heroes is a beautiful apostolate that basically they produce material. They produce CDs about the lives of saints and also companion books. Um, they're the CDs that you could put in your car on a long road trip. Um, and, and they're good books for young teenagers to, to learn about the saints in a way which is engaging for them. It's really wonderful. And, and Carlo really fits their bill because, you know, a lot of their saints are people who maybe even died old, but Carlo is a, is a teenager. He was a teenager when he passed away. And so, um, we want to reach people who are young. And, and Carlo, what's great about Carlo is he's contemporary. He wore jeans. He had a PlayStation. He probably, I'm, I'm pretty sure he had a telephone, although I lived in Italy at the time. It was probably a flip phone. But he, you know, he had a laptop. He created a website. I think he's the first beatified who was a computer programmer and who created a website. So he's very relatable for teenagers today because he lived a life that many teenagers could be living. He created a website and actually this is interesting because the website cataloged different Eucharistic miracles that had taken place. So when did he become yes. fascinated by Eucharistic miracles? Why did it feel why did he oh. feel it was his mission to tell these stories? This, this is a wonderful question. Basically, um Carlo, so Carlo had a deep devotion to the Eucharist. He received his first communion at the age of seven, which is two years earlier than normal for Italians. In Italy, you get your first communion at the age of nine. But he got special permission because his pastor realized he was, he was ready. And he began to go to Mass every day from the age of seven until he passed away at 15. And he loved the Eucharist. He really believed, as we all do as Catholics, that this is the body and blood of Christ. When he was around 11, he started um, assisting to teach CCD in his parish. And what he realized is that a lot of young people, not only do they not get the Eucharist or, you know, they don't seem that excited about it, but it's, it's also because the parents aren't taking them. And apparently he used to tell his mom, Mom, how is it possible that people will stand online for hours to get tickets to a rock concert? And... You know, then you go to these churches in Italy and they're almost empty. And he goes, if people realized what was waiting for them in church, you know, these, the churches should be packed. So he said, how can we get people interested? And so on his own, he realized that, you know, the story of Eucharistic miracles are really fascinating. And so he said, people don't know about this. So he thought by creating a website about Eucharistic miracles, he could get people excited about the Eucharist. So he began to do research. Now, by the way, I, I only knew about, I think, two miracles. 
there have been miracles all over the world, Eucharistic miracles. And so um, he did research on, on the Eucharistic miracles and he took photographs. He traveled to many of the sites in Europe where they, they took place or he would ask them to send him photographs. So this website is really amazing. Um, it's in 17 different languages. You can click on, um, there's a list of all the countries in the world where there have been Eucharistic miracles. You click on the country and then you click on the year because it'll give you the year. And where possible, there's a photograph. Sometimes there's videos. And it's really, really an amazing website. And he worked on this website from the age of 11 to the age of 15. The so website. Quite an the website, yeah. has it changed now uh, since his death and beatification? Obviously, I'm assuming I, it's I, been redone, but maybe the content that he collated no, is all still the same? I think it was almost complete. I think uh, the, the main change is it, there's been translation, so it's now in, you can click on 17 different languages. I mean, maybe it started out and it, it was just in Italian. And um, I think the main change is the languages, the translations. Okay. It's interesting yeah. that you say that about a website where like there's pictures and if you click on it and all this, because I was just talking to someone on Saturday uh, where I live, there are these roadside chapels and I've done a lot of work promoting the roadside chapels, doing little videos, etc. And And this guy said, yeah, I went to this website and I clicked on the chapel and then it took me to a little video of you giving a tour of the chapel. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm like, I did not put this website together, but I'm grateful okay. someone did, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's so, yeah, this is an impressive website. Carlo's website, um, I think it's really there's no other beatified who or saint who's uh canonized saint who's done this. So, it, yeah, because of his great love for the Eucharist, I'm sure that as the Catholic Church in the United States of America undergoes the Eucharistic revival, that Blessed Carlo yes. Acutis has some sort of role or maybe even patronage uh, over that. Well, is that true? Yes, yes. Actually, um, so it began in New York, this Eucharistic revival, and Carlo, uh, Blessed Carlo Cutis is, is the patron saint or patron blessed for this uh, Eucharistic revival. And it's funny you say that because there was um, the opening mass was in the Bronx with Cardinal Dolan. This is where I live. And I mean, I'm in New York and I went to the mass and they have his relic, a, a relic of Carlo Acutis's heart. And it's going to be brought around the United States throughout the next, is it three years, Father? Yes, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting so. that we sometimes venerate the heart of a saint. So uh, St. Saint, uh, John Vianney, his heart traveled around the country at one point. And because he had a great heart and love for the priesthood. And so now we have Blessed yeah. Carlos Acutis. We have his relic of his heart. Well, that's his great yes. love for the Holy Eucharist. And so we ask that yes. we might have a heart like his, which loved the Holy Eucharist. So right, there's, right. there's something very rich there, I think. Um, yes, yeah. When it comes to a blessed, the blessed has to have a miracle. This is the part of the process of becoming a saint, that people yes. have to begin asking that saint to pray for them, their soon-to-be saint. And so they go yeah. through stages like servant of God, venerable, blessed, and then ultimately saint. And before they're beatified then, blessed Carlos is beatified, you have to have a miracle. What's the story of the miracle that led to his beatification? 
Okay, so basically, um, there was a little boy in Brazil who was born with a pancreas which was malformed. And this poor child could, he really couldn't eat solid foods. And so every day, you know, he would be vomiting. He could only have liquids or like, you know, some sort of baby formula. They had brought him to all the doctors, his parents. And the doctor said the only real solution was surgery. But the surgery was so dangerous that there was a high probability of death. So the parents didn't want to do it. And um, it so happened that the pastor of their church had gone to Assisi the year before and had met the family of Carlo Acutis in Assisi. And he said, oh, I would love to bring a relic. I would like I would like a relic to bring back to my parish in Brazil. And so they they gave him a relic. Actually, I'm not quite sure what the relic was. I, it could have been a piece of a clothing of Carlos. Anyway, so this pastor in Brazil decided to have a novena to Carlo. And uh, what he did was he would have every day people would come to mass and they would pray to Carlo. And then one by one, they would go up to the altar and touch the relic and and say their intentions. So this poor, this, this little Brazilian boy who could barely walk, he was so weak, his parents um, carried him up to the altar. And the priest said, what do you pray for? And he said, I don't want to vomit anymore. And he touched the relic. Um, I don't know if it was that day or the day after, but he woke up and he told his mom, mom, I want to eat. I want to eat solid food. And they're like, are you sure? And he's like, yes. So they gave him something, I think like, you know, potatoes or some sort of meat. And he felt fine. Nothing happened. And then he ate again, another meal that evening. He felt fine. By the second day, the parents were like, something's going on here. And uh, they made an appointment, brought him back to the doctors. They did, a, I don't know, some sort of an MRI. And they discovered that the pancreas was perfectly formed. It was not malformed anymore. It was healed. And that boy is perfectly fine now. And I believe he went to the beatification um, of Carlo. So well, that's that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the Antonio Acutis told me there have been hundreds of miracles. She says, even at the funeral itself for um, Carlo, there were two miracles. There was a woman who had cancer, who prayed to Carlo during the funeral mass, and she discovered she was healed. And another woman who had been trying to have a child for a long time, she was in her 40s, was unable to conceive. She prayed to Carlo, and later that week, she discovered that she was pregnant. And there have also been... Um, a lot of miracles, people coming back to church, people who have come back to Mass. Um, there have been a beautiful, uh, you know, miracles of forgiveness. Families who were not speaking to each other, who made peace because of the example of Carlo. So um, she has, she says, we have hundreds of stories. We're just waiting for, you know, the right miracle for the canonization. But they have no doubt that there, there will they. they it, all, it already seems like they have several very good uh, miracles, like physical healings, but I guess they're waiting for the right one. The Eucharist is often called the sacrament of charity. It invites us to a greater love of our neighbor. It is the sacrament of Christ's love. And so as we receive his love, well, then we are called to love one another. I'll never forget yeah. one of the quotes of maybe St. John Chrysostom <laughs> or one of the great saints of the church who said that if you can't recognize Christ in the beggar at the door, 
How do you expect to see him in the Holy Eucharist that you receive at Mass? And I'm wondering then, as we talk about the Eucharist, how it motivates our Christian life, how did the Eucharist inspire the generosity and charity of Blessed Carlo? So Carlo was an amazing kid. Besides his love for the Eucharist, besides his computer programming skills, which we could also talk about, uh, Carlo had a love for the homeless. And another thing that he was very much known for was that he would go out almost every night and bring food and hot drinks to the homeless. Oh, wow. So Milan, Milan is a freezing cold city in the winter, just like New York. And it just killed him that there were all these people in the streets. And, you know, when he was, I, I believe, as young as nine, he was like, Mom, can we do something? And so they started to go out. I, you know, I don't think he went alone. He always went with either one of his parents or they had a, um, a house um, a housekeeper at home, an Indian man named Rajesh, who would go out with him. And he would go out and bring food, let, bring the leftovers. Sometimes he would bring a blanket. He would use his allowance money to buy sleeping bags and blankets for the homeless. And he really, really cared. Um, so this was, honestly, if this was all he did, he was already a very holy young man. One of the things you have in your book here is a section of quotes, for example, sayings of Carlos. There are a few sayings about the Blessed Virgin. The rosary is the shortest stairway to reach heaven. He prayed the rosary, it seems, from what I've read, every day. He also said, yep. after the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Rosary is the strongest weapon to fight the devil. So these are realizations that such a young kid already had. Then you have a little yes. section called Carlos's Kit for Becoming a Saint. Yes. Remember to recite the rosary every day. Make mortifications, yes. renunciations frequently to our Lord and Our Lady to help others. So how did Carlo love the Blessed Virgin Mary? So he, from a young age, loved the Blessed, uh, the blessed Virgin Mary. And again, this is one of those mysteries... I, it just seems that he he had this enormous grace as a very young child, like at the age of four, where he would ask his mom, Mom, can we bring flowers and bring them and place them in front of the statue of Our Lady in our parish? And this is without the parents doing it because they weren't practicing Catholics, remember. So it just seems that he was given an extraordinary grace. Um, from a young age, he loved Our Lady. And um, when he was, young, you know, when he started to read, he would read books, you know, the, the normal children's books you would read in, in, in Italy, but also he would read like the children's Bible and then the lives of saints for, for young kids. And he was very drawn to Our Lady. Um, he was very drawn to Fatima. He was a huge devotee of Fatima. In fact, he went to Fatima a few months before he died, and it was a very emotional and moving thing for him because he'd been reading about it for so long. Um, and there are pictures of him there in my book. Um, he was very interested in the messages of Fatima. Uh, he was very devoted to Our Lady of Pompeii. His mother comes from a, a city in the south that is, is near Pompeii. And so when he would go visit you know, his maternal grandparents and relatives, they would go, and um, he was very devoted to um, this image. 
And uh, I believe he was also very devoted to uh, Lourdes. So um, whenever he could, he would, you know, he would do a little apostolate with his friends. He would hand out rosaries. <laughs> he would tell people, you know, how important it was to pray the rosary. So... Yeah, you even write here about Our Lady of Pompeii that he consecrated himself to her seven times during his yeah. short life. So even the idea of Marian consecration was important to him. Yeah. So you mentioned that he goes to Fatima right before he dies. How did Blessed Carlo die? Okay, so when he was in his sophomore year of high school in October, he basically started feeling sick. And there was a flu going around, so his parents right away thought it was the flu. They said, oh, you know, like, they weren't that worried. But after a couple of days, they realized Carla was really sick. And so um, at that point, they called a doctor, and the doctor said, you've got to bring him in. So he goes to the emergency room. They do blood tests, and they start to see that there's things that are very wrong with his bloods. They do further blood tests, and they get the horrific diagnosis that he had leukemia hmm. and he had the form of leukemia that you could have he had terminal leukemia he died three days after that diagnosis you know up until a week before he was fine he was fine it was the craziest thing so you know immediately in the hospital he told his parents i'm offering up all my sufferings for the pope and the church and um they've interviewed the doctors and the nurses who took care of him in those final days there were very few days and they were very impressed with with the way he was as a patient um he tried not to bother anyone he, he really tried not to complain he suffered a lot but he really tried not to complain and he made it a point to offer up his sufferings he told his mom mom i'd like to come home with you but i know i won't be able to but I'm going to give you signs that I am with you from heaven. And when <clears> you <throat> spoke with her, did she comment on seeing those signs? Yes. So she, I believe that, okay, she definitely, this is crazy. She had a dream with St. Francis of Assisi. I don't know anyone who has dreams with St. Francis of Assisi. Carlo had a deep devotion to St. Francis of Assisi. Um, and, uh, so she had a dream, the mom, that St. Francis said, your son is going to be very high in heaven. And that was confirmed for me by the family because I, I double-checked on that one. Um, another sign is that after he died, he appeared to her in a dream and told her, by the way, Carlo was an only child. They were not able to have any children after Carlo. After Carlo passed away, he appeared to her in a dream and said, mom, you're going to become a mother again. And she had twins four years to the day on his, um, the day he died. So they were born on the anniversary of Carlo's death four years later. So they're, they're beautiful twins, Francesca and Michele, and they're now 11 years old. Oh, wow. And for them to realize that they have a brother who will be a saint in the Catholic Church, and they'll yeah. tell his story for the rest of their life. I know. I know. It's incredible. Incredible. And, it's a beautiful grace for the family that that God gave them twins because, you know, losing your son is bad enough. Losing your son, who was a, a wonderful kid, is, is horrible. 
and but they have twins now. They 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 have a life, and they're um and they and they do a lot of apostolate. They they talk a lot about Carlo. <clears throat> And I think a lot of people might say, well, why would God allow such a promising young boy with a future who loved God, who could do so much good in his life? Why would God allow that person to die at such a young age? But we wouldn't be talking about him today if he hadn't passed away, if uh, the favor that God showed him wasn't told and shared, and now that he's a blessed of the church. So it's uh, truly an incredible uh, story. And, and to think about the efficacy of his intercession, that on his death, he was offering his suffering for the Pope and for the church. And now in heaven, he can pray for the Pope and the church. He can pray for his family, his mom, his, his two siblings now. Uh, so it, it's just his intercession now and his presence for the church uh, is just uh you know words can't describe it i guess uh and i guess that's a part of the the marvelous providence of god we don't understand why god took him but god is using it especially to advance uh the eucharistic devotion of the church yeah um i know that antonia and andrea have said that had they not had faith with the faith which was increased and uh, uh really uh, spurred on by the example of their son, they wouldn't have been able to deal with his death. But when I spoke to her, I really felt that I was speaking to a woman who was healed, who was happy. And she's happy that his example is inspiring so many people. I mean, they get stories all the time. There are prayer groups around the world dedicated to Carlo. And so they live with the joy that his life has been a real inspiration for young teenagers everywhere. And so that gives them joy. So today I've been talking about Blessed Carlo Acutis, The Amazing Discovery of a Teenager in Heaven. It's a book by Sabrina Farisi. And if people want to get a copy of this book, how can they do so? And if they want to learn more about your writings, how can they follow you? Um, well, they can get the book at holyheroes.com. That's, I, I don't think it's on Amazon yet, if it's going to be, but just go to www.holyheroes.com. And I write for the National Catholic Register. So you can look for me there. We are a print newspaper and an online newspaper. Well, wonderful. Well, thanks so much for sharing with me today about Blessed Carlo, about this young teenage saint who has touched you and whose story you're helping to tell to so many young people today. Thanks for your great work. Okay, thank you. It It was wonderful to meet you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. I am honored by how many people listen to How They Love Mary. I hope that you'll continue to listen over the upcoming months as we continue to go through, lesson by lesson, my book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady. If you were touched by today's episode, consider sharing it on social media. And if you haven't already done so, please rate and review the podcast so that it might help others find it as well. Again, thanks so much for listening. Know of my prayers for you. Please pray for me. God bless you, and Mary intercede for you.